G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. G'day everyone, this is Footyology TV, I'm Rowan Connolly. I'm Mark Fine. And we are live from the studios of Southern FM in Brighton. As you can hear, we've got all sorts of technical issues we've been trying to overcome, so apologies if uh, things strange or stranger things than usual happen, but uh, we are going to give you a full and comprehensive wrap-up of what has been a fantastic Round 15, I'd say, finally. Far and away, the best round of the AFL season thus far. I mean, game after game, tight. More attacking football, better output from key forwards. You'd think that the uh, clubs met with Gil McLaughlin sometime recently to almost, I'm not going to say guide coaches, but I think there was a lot less defensive football and less men behind the ball. So, Well, you almost suspect there's some sort of conspiracy going on, and we'll come to that Later in the rant-off, of course, which uh, people, regular viewers of this show, will be familiar with. Uh, One important difference tonight, we want your input, your feedback. Questions, comments to either of us. Um, You know, you can mock our attire, you can mock anything you like, but (laughs) particularly... particularly, Oh, we've got thick skins, finally. We've had to have... um, Particularly about the games this weekend, though, leave your comments on this live feed on my Facebook page and we'll do our best to answer the best of them during the show. But uh, those who have watched this show regularly throughout this season know how the format works. Let's get straight into it, Finey, with the wraparound. Oh, there's uh, supposed to be music for that, Finey. We'll get get to the music. Well, it starts now. There it is. Let's hear it again. Come on. I like it. Okay, so that gave it that Fox footy-esque sort of air of gravitas, didn't it? Now we can actually talk about the games. It has been a sensational round, and it kicked off on Thursday evening with Richmond taking on Sydney at Etihad Stadium. Seems a while back now. Final scores, Richmond 14-9-93. Defeat of the Swans, 11-1. Amazing kicking. 67, 26-point uh, win to the Tigers. Finally, what did you make of it? You know what? Uh, Richmond might not sit clear on the table by any significant amount, but they are clearly now the best team because really Sydney had pinned themselves in as the best challenger at this stage of the game. This match was away from the MCG where Richmond is strong. Yes, they won by, what, 26 points, but they actually won by... Two goals, eight. Uh, three goals, eight, I should say. It's a substantial victory. Rewalt probably playing, apart from the goals kicked, the best key forward game uh, in the last three year, three or four years. It was a ripper, though. If you listen to the Channel 7 commentators, you would have thought it was the best game by a key forward ever, was, in the history of the world. There was one line that was used, and I, I think it summed it up perfectly. 
he was seeing them beautifully. I mean, he was just, in cricketing terms, they were like watermelons. Mm. Every time the ball was in the air, he felt that he had a piece of it and either he marked it or he got a pretty good piece of it. I tell you, I came away thinking, um, like you, I think Richmond is a little bit ahead of, of the rest. But one thing, I think the thing that they do that other sides can't is see off a challenge. They do it consistently better than anyone. And it's almost like, not they suck you in, but they'll sort of, you know, just bowl along and, and keep you sort of within striking distance. And then when the moment comes, it's just bang. And, and their last quarters this year consistently have been power-packed and they've outscored their opposition. And they just seem to be able to turn up that pressure another level. And I, I felt they did that again. You know, last year when... Out of necessity, they went to a very short forward line. And people might have felt that they were a bit of a, a sort of a, a movable feast, that they were adjusting as the injuries and form dictated. But you know what? They actually play the short game very wisely. They know what they've got up forward, and they know the value of getting the ball in there very quickly. So, you know, that term havoc ball, thank you, Dwayne Russell, Chaos ball. A chaos ball. They're not kicking the ball badly into the forward line on purpose, but they are getting it there very quickly, and they are not scared to... And and have a look how often they do this. Punch the ball on behind their heads. Keep the ball moving and certainly get it to ground, and they've got a fleet of very capable smalls. The other great thing about their smalls... They're all licensed to and are quite capable of flying in the air and competing. So they're not sitting on the ground waiting for the ball. They're actually up in the air. If Jack Rewalt can't make the contest or Nancurvis, don't be surprised if Higgins or Edwards or one of the, even Rioli, is flying high. Yeah, it's spectacular, but it's with a purpose. I just want to talk about the Swans quickly because. I fully expect them to be there at the business end. They always are. But I wonder if they can win a flag without all their best players standing up. And the one who is conspicuously down on his luck or form is Dan Hannabury. Yeah. What has happened to Dan Hannabury? It's, I'll say this. and Dan Hannabury looks now like a player that feels that he can't break a tackle or get into any space. He was dealing the ball off way too quickly on the weekend, on Thursday night, and he just doesn't seem to have confidence in his first step to be evasive. Now, against Richmond, that really comes to play. Let's see if he can get a bit of confidence, maybe against lesser opposition, but in the heat of the Richmond kitchen, he wanted to get that ball off quickly, and I'd say that his form slump is... Now, I'd almost say it's it's um, fatal. You know, it's it's not going to turn around against the likes of Richmond. And the what thing to really terminal worry, is the word I should have used. The thing to really worry about here is the fact that we're at Eddie Head Stadium, not at the MCG, where I think you can add another couple of scores to the uh, goals to the Tiger scoreline. Now we have our first question. Please fire him in. Well, good work, Jade Leach. Thanks for that, that Jade. He asks, who is going to stop the Tigers? Uh, right now, who is going to stop the Tigers? I would say nobody. Yeah, the, the siren at the end of the grand final. <laughs> I mean, look, I tipped them to win the flag at the start of the season. Did you? Oh, yeah. Item third, I think. And 
to be honest, they would be delighted with the um, mass in, in the peloton, in the chasing group. It's getting bigger and bigger, but it's not getting better and better. Mm. So Colin would have joined in. Essendon might tack on shortly. No. Well, that, we're really shuffling positions. <clears throat> yeah, we, we are. are. West, we Coast, are. West Coast have dropped back because of lack of availability of their forwards. Yeah. Adelaide uh, have stumbled previously. I don't think Collingwood's going to hold down a clear second till the end no, of the no, year. No, no, and I think a good comment on how far that pack is behind the Tigers is the fact that, uh, well, you go back to that game that um, the Tigers beat Collingwood in. What round was that early in the season? Six or seven? But they handled them pretty comfortably, and I think there was a lot in that. And I think uh, right now, if you had to um, do a premiership tip for your life, definitely the Tigers. And probably the best news for Richmond compared to last season is Dustin Martin is not having a devastating uh, effect on the competition. He's not having a brilliant year. So they're not reliant on the brilliance of Dustin Martin particularly. It's a far more even spread. Yes, Rance, Rioli, uh, pardon me, Rance, Rewalt, Martin and Coxon are important, but no single standout like last year. All right, let's get on with it. Friday night at the same venue. What a corker of a game this was. In fact, was Friday night... I was saying I thought this was probably the second or third best game of the season. I think the showdown in round eight is the best game I've seen this year. But this was an absolute classic. Western Bulldogs, 16-7, 103, defeated the Cats, 15-11, 101, with, of course, Harry Taylor famously or infamously missing that shot after the siren. It snuck in. For a point. Yeah, yeah it, wasn't one, it wasn't one of the great... After Siren Show. I'll tell you what was great though, Harry fronting up and doing an interview on TV. I can't remember a guy in that, those sort of circumstances doing that. It was, uh, he's a, he's a marvellous bloke, Harry, and all credit to you, yeah. H, if you're watching this. But what a fantastic game. And this really was the Bulldogs of 2016, wasn't it? Yeah, look, to a, to oh, a, it was. To a point. Both of these teams, and look, it was great to see the Bulldogs with so many young players, different players, uh, players who might have, at the start of the season, been unlikely to play in the Bulldogs' AFL team, go out there and do so well. Ed Richards, an absolute beauty. His couple of instinctive goals in the last quarter, probably the difference in the end. Gowers. Gowers has been great for him. And he's a monstrous kick and he's got confidence. He uses it. You know, they lose Stringer, but Gowers, in a way, has a bit of the old Stringer about him. I was really pleased for Shackie early in the game, having an influence. And I thought Boyd played really well in the ruck. Both these teams had soft underbellies that kept appearing during the night. Their ability to retain the ball was debatable. And you know what? I thought for a while that Dangerfield was going to settle the argument. He really girded his loins, didn't he? And you know, that mark he took third up in the third quarter, it sort of said to me, I'm just going to win this game, stuff it. But, but he, he didn't. wasn't able to. He didn't, they didn't. Yep. And this is my big query about the Cats, and it has been all year. They just, you know, like, yes, the Bulldogs returned to some vintage form, but these are the games the Cats have to bank, and, and they don't. And too often, they come up just short of the mark. So where did it go wrong? Dangerfield was... An ever-present danger. I think they're. Um, I think the bottom six in their side yeah. continually wets well, that, them down. That's that soft underbelly. Yeah, which meant that. 
Now, having said that, Quentin Arkell came in and was really impressive. I think that's you part know what? of it. He was, he was impressive on TV. I wasn't at the game. And mm. I just wonder about his spread. And sometimes the dogs were getting the balls, ball and running in twos and threes. And I was wondering where were the long players going the other way. I'd need to be at the ground to know whether young Narkel, who was exciting when the ball was in his vicinity, was doing his work when his opponents had the ball. Uh, yeah, but I mean, that you know, you're coming in playing your first game. That shouldn't be, yes, you've got to do that, but it, that shouldn't be the difference between you winning or not. I, I, look, they actually replaced a few of those bottom six this week, and you had uh, Guthrie came back into the lineup. Obviously, Taylor came back into the lineup. But I don't know. I, I still look at them and I think all the eggs are sort of in one basket. And Applet seems to be having more of these 30 plus possession games that aren't necessarily outstanding games. Yeah. Um, I wonder if Selwood's gone a bit that way as well. And there's just. I thought Selwood was pretty good. There is some missing ingredient in that side. Is it a lack of X factor? Well, Narkel offers that. Parfit offers that, I think. Is he doing enough, though? Maybe not. Cockatoo got to come back into that lineup. I mean, yeah, you have a look at the team, honestly. Look, Ablett wasn't terrible. Selwood was, again, a good player. Yeah. And Dangerfield played well. Hawkins played a good game. This is my point. I thought Reece Stanley played quite well. Yeah. So it, why are they still short of the mark? Because, as you pointed out, they do drop away, obviously alarmingly, towards the bottom six. And it's it's an unusual thing, but there are... I just got the sense that when Geelong had the ball, the Bulldogs felt that their harassing was going to pay dividends. Mm. And they really were drawn to the play with the ball. And Geelong were not able, as they had been for the last decade, to take advantage of that and, you know, break break the break the noose, break the strangle and, and go on and dominate the game. Final word um, on the Bulldogs, and that is that for a side that's had a pretty ordinary season and we've all been saying, well, what's happened to the Bulldogs? For a, How could I put it? For a crap season, they're having an OK season because good things have come out of it, like the emergence of Richards, like the emergence of Gowers. How about Lynch for a first game? He was good. No, he, he, was, he was very good. I had the list of um, injured Bulldogs players here and it, it took up about half my notebook. So, look, um, hopefully they can get a bit more out of the rest of the season because uh, whilst... The Premiership defence in this year have been ordinary. I think there's still plenty of scope for them over the next few years. Question. Do you reckon Beveridge likes Wallace as a footballer? Or he uh, certainly frustrates him with his disposal. Yeah. I wonder what he, you know, how he feels about young Mitch. Um, well, we'll have him. Put it that way. Mm. I, I certainly wouldn't be letting him go without a fight. Yeah. Um, all right, let's move on. Saturday afternoon at uh, the MCG and, of course, the milestone man, Cade Simpson, playing his 300th game. What a journey and what a journey under duress, the duress being not being part of a successful side. You know, Finey, that of his first, well, the percentage will be the same now, 37% of wins out of those 300 games. It's not a great strike rate uh, for fronting up that long over a, what, a 15, 16 season period. But again, um, the Blues gave it a real nudge. They they kept Port really honest and uh, thought they were a real decent chance there until Port got the job done in the last quarter with uh, five goals to two. 10-9-69, the Blues, 13-12-90, the power. Yeah, Wingard um, was probably the best 
forward the best offensive weapon in the game. And once again, Westhoff was used as the floater. And he gets him a few wins, doesn't he, Westhoff? Just <clears> by being able to very attack. Very underrated. Well, he can, he can attack and defend in the same game. And when he's on song, and he's been on song for the last month, he becomes a match winner and a match saver. Yeah. Well, look, I, I'm, I've sort of jumped on the port bandwagon a bit. I contend that they are a tougher, more resilient group than they have been in recent years. And uh, this result certainly doesn't make me shy away from that. I think that they got the job done at a ground that they haven't always found easy. With a scoreless quarter. Yeah, and against a side that probably goes all right on the G and uh, had a milestone guy to play for. So, um, although it sounds funny, given that it was against the Blues, I thought it wasn't a bad win, and uh, their winning streak continues. I think they're going to be right in it at the business end. All right, let's move on. Saturday twilight game, Adelaide taking on West Coast, and uh, Titanic struggle this one. The Crows looked in all sorts at three-quarter time but actually found some resolve. thought Tex Walker was outstanding in that last quarter. The Crows getting up in the end, 12-16-88, defeating West Coast, 12-6-78. Just before you go, Finey, don't forget, if you want to ask us a question or leave a comment, head straight to this live feed, leave your comment there. Our people are on the case. We will see your comment and respond to it appropriately, minus the expletives. What did you think of the game? I've got to be honest, I only watched the last quarter. Did you? I've got no idea how West Coast... I, I am completely baffled. Uh, help me out. I've got no idea how West Coast were leading at three-quarter time. I mean, Adelaide, Tex Walker was fantastic. Adelaide, with the tsunami of home support, were rampant in that last quarter. Yeah, they were, but they hadn't really looked hadn't, like it till then. Well, explain what happened. Well, I, th- I thought the Eagles were, unlike last week, when they really... Um, Kept, it was like they were continuing to play as though Kennedy and Darling were there. I thought they changed it up this week and, and got good results. McGovern bobbed up and kicked some goals for them this week. Cripps came into it and was a, a handier player for them, one of the better games he's played for a while. Shuey and Gaff had good ones. Hutchings um, was pretty good. Hearn gave them drive off half-back. Um, it was sort of a, a night, probably didn't get enough out of Nat Nui in the end. That was perhaps a decisive duel. Sam Jacobs really... Um, I was going to say tore him a new one. I shouldn't say that, but he, well, Sam, Sam Jacobs was pretty dominant, I think it was fair to say. Well, that would be Sam's best game for the year then. Uh, best one that I've seen, certainly. Yeah. But look, the Eagles were pretty good. They hung in there and I thought, geez, this is going to be a great win by them if they get up. But um, the Crows, I guess it was sort of now or never time. And you could see in the emotion of um, uh, Don Pike. I was about to say Don Fagan for some reason. Uh, Don Pike uh, in the coach's box. It was a massive moment for them. I thought Walker really responded. I thought their big guns came good. Some of the uh, the decent stars on that side starting to come back. So, look, they're not done with yet. Uh, Lachlan O'Connor, thanks for your question. He says, Nick Nat surely injured. Bill Chambers beat him last week too. Was even jumping over him. Yeah, correct. He's had two pretty ordinary weeks. He, he really doesn't... Um, He's never sort of taken the ball by the horns in a possession-winning or marking sense, has he? Yeah. Look, we've got a, a history. We forgot because Nick Nat didn't play last year that an AFL season at times has seemed a bridge too far for Nick Nat and Nui. It's, it's been a long grind. I remember remember that day in Geelong that he came off um, injured, but he wasn't injured, and 
sort of just walked off emotionally hurt. Um, maybe he's going through the doldrums that he's been through in previous seasons. That's not to say that he doesn't turn it around. But uh, he, let's hope he's carrying an injury because if not, he's not trying as hard as he should. All right, let's move on to the next game up at uh, Metricon Stadium. This was Saturday night, wasn't it? And uh, Gold Coast sort of did their usual thing of being competitive for a quarter ice or so, and then the Pies went sort of zip. And then the last half, bit of a holding mission. I think everyone, even the Pies, got a bit sick of it towards the end. Final scores, 14-15-99 Collingwood, defeat of the Suns, 8-12-60. And I think that's the Suns... Is that their... How many have they lost in a row? Eight? Might yeah. have been ten. Nine. Thereabouts. Yeah. But one thing I can tell you, it's the first time in a month and a half that they've managed to score at least one goal in each quarter. Well, that's a milestone of sorts. Is that worth celebrating? Absolutely not. The, um, the game fizzed out. Last quarter was played to a grind. Though, actually, I watched that last quarter. I watched the whole game in dispatches. And they really had a crack for the Gold Coast. And I was starting to wonder where these players were coming from. You know, not players that were uh, or have been heralded as star footballers. But um, Crossley was okay. I'd never seen him before. I hadn't seen him play a lot of football. He's got a great moustache. Um, Powell? Yeah. So these kids were putting their hands up. I'll say this much about Collingwood. They are second on the ladder, and we know that in the changing world of football, the last two years have told us to expect the unexpected. They need to do a lot more, especially now without Trelaw, through the middle of the ground, if they think they're going to compete for the flag. They need to find somebody to step into that role, because, you know what? They were they were probably bested in the middle of the ground. Yeah. Oh, no, there's no doubt Trawl leaves a, a huge hole. Kristen Pluckan, sorry if I've got that wrong. Essendon v Pies next Sunday, huge game. Absolutely huge game. Um, Bigger than the Anzac Day game was. That was that well, sort of came upon us with a big crowd but no form. Probably better prospects in terms of the form, yeah. I think um, the Dons will give it a pretty decent crack. Pies are still deservedly start favourite, but... Um, Essendon really have to win just about everything from here if they're going to scramble into the eight. It will be a massive game, and uh, off the top of your head, I reckon 70-odd thousand if it's a, a fine least. afternoon. At it's least. a 3.20 game, which... Is it a 3.20 game? I think it is, um, which is a bit of a problematic time slot, but could be a good one. Thanks for the um, thanks for the question. Keep them coming, folks. That's the idea. You're getting the hang of it. Interaction. That's what we're all about here at Footyology TV. Let's go to Spotless Stadium Saturday evening. GWS taking on Hawthorne. Got this one wrong, Fonny. I thought the Hawks might give a better account of themselves. In the end, the Giants probably should have won by a bit more. 13-17-95, defeat of the Hawks, 13-6-84. 11 points. Uh, Hawks are still in there. They've got a pretty reasonable run home, but uh, not helping their finals aspirations. Well, I thought Hawks gave a good account of themselves. Did because, Yeah, look, I mean, they were up against it. They are up against a pretty talented team on home turf, and they haven't beaten GWS for a while now. They're, that's their real bogey time. I think it's now four years since they've beaten them. Mm. They, The Hawks went in with two ruckmen, which was for the first time 
in a while that they've relied on McAvoy and Segler. McAvoy didn't have a great deal of influence, but they did kick three goals between them. A rough head was best when he was on the ball. Bruce was great up forward. Geez, a great play to watch Bruce. There was a front and centre which he roved off the uh, contested mark for Roughhead. He hit that and took it mid-air and ran into the goals and kicked an absolute ripper. But most of the contests were being won by GWS. It was a huge contested ball disparity. And they just had, obviously, with Shiel and Canilio and a lot of other really good, sort of hard-at-it type footballers, the advantage. Whitfield kicked a magnificent goal. And look, a lot of people are going to say that Jeremy Patton kicked the match ceiling goal, his only goal, and that was his high point for the game. He actually played really well. He started marking the ball. His kicking was off till that last kick. But the good news for GWS is no Cameron for four more weeks, but Patton started to get some confidence. Yeah, I um, yeah, I don't know about the Giants. They look to me like a classic sort of bottom half of the eight team. I just I don't think they're quite on the money this year. And um, the Hawks, well, yeah, I might have overrated them, but who's, who's to say I won't change my mind on that again next week? And just, you know, I said about the hard out at midfield. How could I leave out Callum Ward? He was really good. 50-plus something more contested possessions. That is a ridiculous... Um, Differential of contested ball. Speaking of 50, Todd Mitchell for the third time got 50. Amazing. 50 and. He knows how to win it. Now, uh, just threatening to lose my place here. So that was the second Saturday night game. Yep. So we come to Sunday and Melbourne St Kilda. Now, what an unexpected result this was, finding. I should let you talk even more than there have been. 18 11, (laughs) 119 St Kilda, defeat of the Demons. It's actually okay tonight because let, I'm going to let you in on a little secret here. I had a wisdom tooth out yesterday. I am in that much pain that if I wasn't sitting here publicly doing a TV show, I would be bashing holes in the wall. Such is the excruciating nervy pain that is going through my lower jaw right now. But it's the discipline that is required to do these sort of things professionally. Well, hang on. Hang on a sec. What? Well, no, no, don't. Please, come on. What? But when you go to the dentist, aren't they supposed to sort these issues out? They're not supposed to leave you in pain. Well, it's a wisdom tooth, and I've, I've, given some of the horror stories I've heard, I'm sort of not surprised I'm in pain. But uh, let me tell you, I'm doing it rather tough right at the moment. Anyway, your Saints got up by two points. Fire away. Yeah, first of all, the margin definitely flattered Melbourne. You know, St Kilda, uh, Jack Stephen kicked a goal with two and a half minutes to go to put them 22 points up or... Thereabouts. Was that only two and a half minutes left? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> four goals up. They were the best part of four goals up with two and a half minutes to go. Yeah. Okay, Melbourne straight out of that play kicked a goal. Fair play. Um, the ball then went down to the Melbourne forward line again. And Jaron Geary knocked the ball out to a teammate. That was the end of the game. The single play was off to the races. It was all over. The umpire called it a throw. It was a very, very strange decision. No, full credit. Hogan kicked the goal, then um, your mate Hibbert kicked another goal. Mm. And this would have been extraordinary. Didn't Kevin Sheedy say you can win as long as there's as many minutes as goals? That's no, Lee Matthews. Oh, Lee Matthews. Actually, I did see that throw. That was an absolutely appalling decision. Well, I just... It was he, a ter- he, he tapped it. 
It was a terrible decision. Uh, I mean, it, it, it was a decision to keep the game alive. But any, and without that, Sinclair would have won by the three goals. Look, Josh Battle played really well. Membry played well. They showed a bit of dash. I didn't think they were that quick. Yeah. As long as Jack Stevens has the ball, he's, he's, he runs. And Gresham was kicking a lot of goals. But the really disappointing element from Melbourne was how little of the midfield work was shared beyond Gorn, Brayshaw and Viney. Yeah. Brayshaw was good. Viney was great the longer the game went. And Gorn dominated. And you can fill in <clears> the dots yourself as to who let Melbourne down. All right. Well, I'm going to fill in a few now. Michael Williams. Thanks, Michael. Has... Uh uh, I was going to say texted. He has Facebooked in a question. Melbourne, where are they? I reckon right at the moment there's every chance they're going to miss the eight. Uh, ridiculous to say they were looking so red hot. I guess, I've got to say, I don't like saying this because I love watching them play at their best, but that run of six wins in a row, it wasn't against quality opposition. And um, I think they're starting to sort of get found out. They routinely let themselves down, shoot themselves in the foot, and they've done it again in a game they couldn't afford to drop. Um, do they get ahead of themselves? I, I don't know. I really struggle to see what the problem is because the personnel all appears to be there. I love their sort of multi-pronged forward setup, um, and that's actually worked to a point today. They've got a, no shortage of goal kickers. But they just don't seem to be able to uh, appreciate the big moments or... See danger. You know, like some sides see a danger game coming and they're able to sort of nip the danger in the bud. The Ds seem to sort of almost sit back and go, oh, no, it's happening to us again. I know that sounds a bit wishy-washy, Michael, but uh, no, you're right. I just don't think they're psychologically tough enough. Yeah, Michael, I don't know if you're old enough to remember. You're probably not because we're old. A player called Peter Bazasto, And Peter Bazasto was a great footballer, but generally on the news on Saturday night, they'd show the highlights and Pazusto would be front and centre, but that would just about be all his possessions. <laughs> and I'm starting to worry, not worry, I don't really care, but Petrarca, what he does is fantastic, but he does not do enough. He doesn't do enough in, in the guts of the game, in the second and third quarters. He's there at the start, and he wants to be there at the finish, but, you know, this is a four-quarter, 100-minute game, and he's not playing 100 minutes. No, I think they're in real danger of, of missing the eight. And if they are to miss the eight, I wonder if this side we're about to talk about could actually end up stealing a march on them. What a game at Eddie had stadium this afternoon. Yes, I will deign to smile about this one because my bombers put up a pretty good showing for me. 19-11, 125, defeat of the Roos, 16-12, 108, 13-6 to 10-4 at halftime. The highest scoring first half of football we've seen in any game since 2009. Yep. Um, I thought um, McKernan up forward was terrific for him. Fantasia showed his class early. Stringer, guy who, oh no, I will elaborate on this. David Myers, I think, has come back into that midfield and made a big difference. Kyle Langford, Finey. You love him. I love Kyle Langford and he was really I'm solid gonna, again I'm going to say that this is the, not the first time, but this is a very worthwhile bunk-up for Langford. I thought he was great. He was. And he was great. You know when he was great? He was great when North had the ball, when it was going the other way. He would put a hand in. He would, you know, he's not necessarily 
part of the procession. But gee, he was good in stopping North getting a run on. He's a good user of the ball too. He's just he's got a coolness about him, and I, I always felt like a bit of continuity would would get him there, and he's getting it now, and he's he's returning that faith. Um, How tall is he? Oh, he's quite tall. He'd yeah. be six. Uh, four-ish, six-five-ish. He's the first lanky midfielder I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is a bit of a trend. Um, we'll get to your question in a sec, Jaron. Just a word on the Roos. I wondered if... Uh, I did tip Essendon. Remarkably, I actually got my Essendon tip right. I just looked at North last week and I thought, yeah, okay, they did well to get out of it and the doggies played well, but I just wonder if they're just about due to drop one and I think today was that one. Having said that, they weren't terrible. And they really... They really miss Ben Jacobs. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because I, I thought Heppel was great. He probably, I reckon he would have taken Zach Merritt. I, either. You know, wasn't Heppel good again? He was great again. Couple, couple little, if I could be a bit picky, couple little decision-making errors. But, yeah, he was great. Merritt was great. And maybe a better game by Hurley, you know? Yeah, and got they, better. They, well, in the last quarter, a couple yeah. of important intercepts it and you know timely more defensive work rather than expansive flary work yeah and it hasn't uh, the other guys made a huge difference to him over the last six weeks adam Sard, that dash he and mckenna given i thought he was going to run the whole length of the ground <laughs> oh, was, he had uh how many bounces did he have I think well, he, he had, had too many six. he had too many for the distance covered he had yeah a lot but then i thought when when he got to the center i thought you know what there's less players in front of you now than you've just gone past yeah yeah he sort of uh, do you reckon he tired or whatever? It's like he sort of during thought, the run, yeah. Because <laughs> I thought he was going to go the whole way. Oh, he is a, an exciting player to watch. Uh, Jaron Parkinson says, "Can Danaher break back into the Essendon team this year, or do we play better without him?" I, I think it'd be pretty brave to not pick him, but from what I hear, there's serious doubts that he will play again this season. And the better they play, the more they might be tempted to give him the rest of the year off finding because it, it it could sort of potentially throw that balance out. Or well, That being said, I don't think he is coming back this year. Does Mitch Brown hold his place or can Stewart force his way back in the team? I think Mitch Brown, uh, and I like Stewart, but I think Mitch Brown at the moment is giving him a great sort of defensive aspect to his play as well. Certainly last week, he really effectively took McGovern out of the game. Mm. Um I wouldn't say he did that so successfully this week, but he uh, he's just able to at least split contests. I, I reckon he's been pretty good value the last couple of weeks, and at the moment he had the drop on Stewart. Danaher, I like the way their forward setup looks now with Stringer almost as the, the P, and you've still got a, um, a tall and capable key forward up there with McKernan. So it uh, be interesting to see. is what, eight games to go now. Uh, interesting selection poser. It'll probably depend on whether their finals hopes are still alive. I reckon if their finals hopes are nipped in the bud, there's not much point to sort of bring him back, really. You give him another pre-season to recover. All right, final game of round 15. And talk about turn-ups. This has got to be, in terms of what you would have expected in the venue and whatever, it's got to be close to the upset of the season. Brisbane, 18-11, Absolutely did a number on Fremantle, 9-10, 64 at Optus Stadium, 55 points. What would yeah, the odds on that have been? Yeah, but Sandlands goes down and Fife goes down and they've got 19 players. And to be honest, without Fife, there's not a lot there driving this team forward. Well, you start to have a look at the team and Lockie Neils gets it a bit and 
Ed Langdon played okay, but Brisbane, they sniffed a victory, and boy, oh boy, did they take it by the scruff of the neck. I can't work Fremantle out. I sort of, I, I don't rate them, and then they sort of turn me around. Like, I, their win here over Carlton recently, I thought was an excellent performance, yeah. and then they deliver up shite like no, that at home. No Fife, they're not. They, they, they are very bland without Fife. Yeah, what's the worry? For a side that's allegedly rebuilding, you want the uh, depth of the player core to extend past the two most senior members of the side. Anyway, I mean, well, let's talk about the Lions. They won the game. Yeah, Another terrific performance from Booms. 33 touches to him. Robertson, very good. Uh, three to McStay, three to Louis Taylor. Hipwood, two, four. Could have had yeah, a few Hipwood, more. Hipwood played further up the ground. Much yep. better. Much yep. better as a hit-up player. Yep. And he enjoyed it. Tackled well. McLuggage was very good. Oh, yeah, he's a good player, McLuggage. He's, um... Is he carrying them? No, but... Sorry, I just wanted to go with that cheap pun. Yeah. Um, I think he's a prize you win at one of McDonald's promotions. Winning some McLuggage. <laughs> but he's... I love players who are calm in a storm. It was quite a frenetic game, but whenever he gets the ball, you can be sort of assured that he's going to hit a target, and he's a very smooth mover. Future looks good. All right, that is the wrap-up. For this week, time now to get into, are we ready, Mr. Music? (laughs) Our next segment. Don't you just want to play a bit? Is that real? (laughs) It's my air guitar, finally. I'm doing a bit of Joe Satriani sort of If I gave you a guitar, could could you do anything with it? No, I could with a bass, a left-handed bass. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, I play the bass. I play the bass. Not well, but I play it. I play the bass. Um, All right, you know how this works. Three likes or dislikes out of the weekend of footy. Um, I'm going to kick us off. I'm going to start with a hot, and it is the Adelaide captain, no less, Tex Walker. Boy, does this guy cop his share of criticism when the Crows aren't going well. Uh, It's been tough times to be captain of the Crows with the pre-season camp hoo-ha continuing to hoo-ha through the season. Um, He had some injury worries coming into the season. Performance wasn't great to start off with. But that was a great captain's game, I thought. They needed someone to pick him up and say, "Okay, I'm going to get you over the line. That's exactly what he did. Kicked the last goal of the third term to just give him a a sniff. Kicked the first of the last. And then I think the third of the last as well. So his best moment in the game was right when they needed it most. 22 disposals, 10 marks, 3-4. Uh, I thought it was a fantastic captain's game from Tex. You know, I'm a big... I'm an advocate of state of origin football. I do know that. And I, I think there's a real place for it. I'm not going to go into the reasons why. But if there were four teams and one of them were the Allies, do you mm. like the look of the Allies' forward line? Because they would have Tex Walker, mm. Ben Brown, mm. Jack Rewalt, mm. and Luke Bruce as four, as the, four of their forwards. Yeah, not bad. Yeah. Not bad. Tasty. Good Broken Hill boy. Yeah, he is. Good All right. in Broken Hill. I am starting with the hot. Okay. Like Jaden Short, at the start of the season, I don't know whether he was in everybody's best Richmond team. Maybe. Close. He yeah. was an emergency in the grand final. That's right. So, we know that Bashar Hooley, almost best on ground in last year's grand final, provides run and drive off the halfback flank, but he can't do that if he's not playing. Jaden Short plays a role now off the half-back line that is elite. Uh, he kicks the ball beautifully. 
He can kick it long or he can kick it to a man. He's very good in the one-on-ones and he's developed into, I think, an All-Australian candidate off the half-back line because he's now gone weeks without getting beaten, but his drive is fantastic. Didn't I mean, wasn't it just perfect that a guy called Short had to be a terrific long kick? Yeah, and, and when he goes short, he's good as well. But it's funny because I look at them and they are all, pardon the pun, they are all sort of short footballers. They are all undersized. He's undersized as well, mm. but not in the contest. It's all, very in the, good, uh, it's all in the timing. Very good one-on-one. It's I like game him. game where they used to say it's all in the wrist action. Was that battle tops? Yep, yeah, yeah, it was, yeah, that's good. amongst that's others. Useful flashback. Did Michael Long, Michael Long was a particularly good short pass, wasn't he? Uh, yep. Okay. Have you seen Michael Long lately? Um, he's been very, he's been quite ill, actually. Oh, sorry, I've been ill. Yeah, I was going to say Michael Wide. Yeah, he's porked up a bit, he's porked up a bit, haven't we all? I hope he's well, because he's a cracking bloke. He is a cracking bloke. Okay, uh, a not for me, second off the rank, and we just talked about them before in the wraparound, but Freo. Give us a spell, guys. If you are genuinely rebuilding, you have to have a bit more substance than to get torn apart by 55 points against the bottom side on the ladder at home. Where does that come from? Now, up until the North game, which is about, what, five weeks ago, six weeks ago, the only loss they'd had at home was to their uh, local rival, the Eagles. They've come here, they've beaten Carlton on the road, and we've thought, okay, now they're starting to get a bit more substance, a bit more backbone. And they turn around and get absolutely, if I can use this word, spifflicated by Brisbane. What is going on there? And I, every, like I said to you before, every time I think that um, Frio are beginning to go somewhere, they do something like this, which make you think they haven't got it in them. I, I just I can't rate them when they put up performances as lame as that. Do they just persist with Ross Lyon until Ross Lyon says he's had enough? Well... Because they're not going anywhere. Yeah, well, I don't know. He's got His contract goes till 2020, I think, doesn't it? Yeah. It's 2020, but I don't know whether it's a great vision. I'll jump in with a knot. And you jump right in. You know, we were talking about Geelong and asking how, when you're playing against a, a Bulldogs that are injury-riddled, with your three big players, Dangerfield, Selwood and Ablett, all contributing and Hawkins going okay, etc., etc., where does it fall short? You know where I think it falls short for that mob? Away from Cardinia Park. I really mm. I really now feel as though this team, Sons, Cardinia Park, is not an, a finals contender. And if they stagger into the eight because of Cardinia Park or GMHBA Stadium then they'll be found out very quickly. Now, I don't know whether it's the crowd, I don't know whether it's the familiar confines or just the short trip to play a game of football that makes them a happier bunch, but they just don't have the same spirit away from that ground. Yeah, no, I think, um, the, I mean, the figures say it very definitely, don't they? But yeah. everywhere now, even places where they used to be very good, like Eddie Heaven with G. Well, the G, their record, uh, I, looked at, I did say this last week, didn't I? Their record... At the G since the start of 2014 is barely 50%. So yep. that's a major worry. All right, hot for me to finish off. And uh, an Essendon veteran, David Myers. Now, I'm a big rap for this bloke. Uh, cracking guy. And uh, he's a very, very strong-bodied midfielder with a booming left foot. But 
last couple of seasons, his kicking's been a bit off. He's looked a bit slow. He's never been overly quick. And I've, I must admit, even I've started to think, where is he in terms of the modern game? Thing Have is, you asked the question, where's Myers? No, Burke Street? Correct. Okay, very good. Because <laughs> I, I can tell you uh, We're punning beautifully tonight. Uh, he's come back from a, another reasonably sized layoff in terms of injury. And his last, I think he came in for the Brisbane game. So his last three weeks, he has not only been serviceable, he's been a key player in what Essen have done. I thought he was terrific in the midfield in the win over North. Uh, hard at it, kicked two first quarter goals, which really got him on a roll. And the penetration of his kicking seems to have suddenly returned. And I, maybe, look, you know, he missed a year of... He, in fact, he missed basically two years of footy, one with injury and one courtesy of the CAS suspensions. Um, maybe it's taken him that long. And he, look, he's... He's still got a bit of footy left in him, and I think uh, if he can turn in performances like that, he is definitely in Essendon's best 22. So well done, Dave. Great performance, and I'm rapt to see you turn it around. My final hot or not is exactly that, hot or not. You tell me. I thought it was a great round for key forwards. You go through them. Rewalt, brilliant. Franklin didn't have a lot of the ball, but still... Looked like the P, didn't he, for the Swans. Kicked a couple of thumpers. Hawkins, very good. Charlie Curnow, very good again. Uh, on to Saturday night, and probably less impressive was Patton on the scoreboard, but he still played pretty well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hogan kicked three at the G, not brilliant, but Membry was very good. And McCartan played an influential game. McKernan was great for the Bombers. So... I thought that they had a really good... And Tex Walker, of course. Mm. So I thought they had a pretty strong weekend, the key forwards. But not one key forward, or not one player, kicked more than four goals. And yet this was a um, <clears throat> this was a weekend when you had not one but two games in which both sides scored over 100 points, which has been an absolute rarity this season. Uh, okay, so well, is that hot or not? Is it hot or not that they're playing well but we can't get bags? Uh, yeah, it's a not for me. It's probably... Um, I, I can live with that not, though, if the team scores are uh, better than okay. we have been seeing. Fair answer. Craig Smith has a not for us, the protected area. Well, I know what you're talking about, Craig. Couldn't agree more, Craig. Is there a person in footy that is a rap for the protected area? It well, it became... It, what happened... At Spotless on Saturday night was appalling. It was appalling in a sense that the umpire showed no feel for the game. Now, Segler takes a mark 70 metres out. And I don't recall the GWS player, I should. He is running following his team, his opponent, but he's basically running along the boundary line. At this point, Segler is backing back, looking for options inboard. There is no way that Segler had any intention of playing on in the six metres between him and the boundary line. This player was tiptoeing his way gently so as not to impact on the play. But technically, he does. It shows no feel for the game. Segler kicks a goal. And once again, the protected area is found out. And I'm disappointed that the AFL, through Hocking, whoever, 
doesn't address this now. I reckon it will be at the end of the year. No, now. Well, we've got a final series coming up, Rowan. Yeah, well, maybe they just tell the umpires to back off and be far looser in their interpretation of it. But it certainly was introduced to solve who knows what. No one seems to be able to tell you what problem it was supposed to be solving. Well, it was supposed to stop... Encourage encourage teams to go... Laterally. Quickly quickly move the ball by foot laterally and keep the ball moving. Okay, that's fair enough. You know, players were getting a bit nousy at taking that five metres from the player and cutting off that I don't that think it's that big an issue. But surely common sense and some football smarts will tell any umpire that what happened on Saturday night, as with many of these incidents, was not impacting on the play. All right. Uh, keep the comments coming. We've got uh, one segment left in this show. and don't know how we'll fit in the comments, but let's just wing it and see what happens. So if you've got anything else to let us know, fire away. You can see the space there on the live stream. That is hot or not. Of course, Finey, you know what this means. Well, this is exciting because your ranting style, let's just say... Is put under pressure with a live coverage. Perhaps, but the level of physical pain I'm now experiencing is making me increasingly angry, and I am ready to unleash that in a torrent of hopefully articulate stuff in the rant off. All right, I got caught short there. All right, I'm ready to rant, Finey. I'm ready to rant. Just need a little prompting here. We right to go, guys. That's right. Just get it up a little bit. Okay, count me in. Three, two, good luck. I'm pissed off about our AFL players and coaches messing with our minds, Finey. I'm beginning to think there's a deliberate stitch-up going on involving the state of the game. Here's how it works. For about half a season, they conspire to produce some of the most boring, low-scoring, excitement-free rubbish the game has ever seen. And then... Just when we're all ready to tear the laws of the game up and start all over again so we don't have to watch bloody rugby every week, they turn on one of the best rounds of football we've seen in years. It started on Thursday night, Richmond and Sydney, with everything to play for, but still prepared to take the odd risk. Things got really out there on Friday evening when the Western Bulldogs and Geelong decided to play six on six, up forward and down back. Wouldn't you know it? Not only could either side have won, we got two sides scoring more than 100 points for the third time in 118 games. It was madness. And then bugger me dumplings if it doesn't happen twice again on Sunday afternoon. St Kilda's been about as good to watch this season as reruns of the Love Boat. Suddenly the Saints are kicking them from everywhere. Essendon and North Melbourne look like they're trying to do a reenactment of that comeback game from 2001 and give us the highest scoring first half of any game since 2009. Next thing you know, we'll see the Coleman medal one with more than 70 goals. Geez, I don't know, Fine. if the AFL isn't careful, people might actually start getting excited about the game again. We might start seeing blokes kicking bags of six or seven goals on the game without a public holiday being declared as a result. We might see last quarters where the game's in the balance and we're not all looking for the mercy rule lest we fall asleep in front of a TV. And we might be able to stop whinging about the commentators for five seconds because a footy will be so bloody good no one even cares that they're talking absolute drivel again. It's all been a cunning plan executed to perfection by the AFL. They made us fall out of love with the game and then they reeled us back in. 
I feel like I'm slightly high on it all after this round. And if that's the case, I've just got one thing to add. Hand me the split, Finey. All right, bro. <laughs> They're just on commentators. That was well done, by the way. Thanks. You fired it out, and that was excellent. <laughs> yeah. They're just on commentators. Yeah. On Lloydwatch. Watch. Mm. Well, today we had a ratio. Because we had uh, people that don't know you, we're wondering whether Brian Taylor was sort of um, brought to heel a bit, had his rambunctious self, you know, curtailed with Lloyd. Mm. But I listened to him on radio on Thursday night. And how was he? Lloyd mm. was back, here, maybe, there and everywhere. Maybe it's been a role reversal. I didn't think he was as ratio-ish today as he has been previously. So uh, maybe TV, a... maybe the TV execs have done what the Triple M execs haven't, and that is reel him in. Yes, well, I certainly reel Barry Hall in on, uh, on what. Now, my wife <laughs> no, told no, me no. about my wife told me about that, and, and yeah, it's a, not good. A, an off-color comment about a uh, worse, somebody's worse somebody's girlfriend. Uh, yeah, about Lee Montagna's wife who was expecting. It was very off colour. We're not going to repeat it here, but we may talk about it on Media Watch in our audio oh, podcast Barry, next Barry. Thursday. That's However, okay. time for your rant, and I'm counting you in right now. Channel your inner demons. That's very good because your saints beat your inner demons. Three, two, one, rant. Rory Lobb made his comeback earlier than expected, and he did so with a perfectly quaffed hairdo, a three quarter sleeve jumper. Showing his arms full of tattoos. Yes, even a beanstalk like Rory Lobb has to be a fashion plate in the modern game. How many man buns are there out on a field nowadays? One can't keep count. And those funny headbands that they wear, I know they've got a name, I just don't know what that name is. Alice Bands. Alice Bands. Thank you, Trendo. But the fact is, if a player doesn't have... Arms full of tattoos, buns, Alice bands, or quaffs clearly prepared by hairdressers for the game itself. They seem scared to take the field. I remember the good old days when footballers only had three options, and that was crew cut, comb over, or mop. It was a simpler time. I could name all the players who had tattoos. The first tattoo I ever saw on a man was on a football card of Kevin Murray. Kevin Gross of Collingwood followed. There were Salty Parish, Warren Jones and the smattering an odd eagle on a shoulder here or a, I don't know, smiley face on a bum there. Not that I would have ever seen it. But now it's basically ink from toe to neck or in some cases a Brownlow medal's neck included and even more. I wonder really where it all is going to end up because it seems to be a pissing contest, pardon the term, as to who can be the most striking rooster on TV. Joe Hannison's dyed hair has to be outdone by somebody else's frizzy coloured do. In the end, it's not about the football really, is it? It's about how look I go how good do I look on the freeze frame. No, take me back to the good old days. A comb over, an old muddy Sharon, 
a blood-spattered, mud-spattered footballer. That was the look. Today, unfortunately, they just don't compare. Uh, we're getting old, aren't we? That had dinosaur written all over it, that rant. But, Especially because uh, I've got tents. Well, I do. <laughs> there are an incredible but, amount of players with sleeves now. At the World Cup, too. It's even worse at the World Cup, actually. Yeah, but it just what are all these man buns and no. half buns and triple buns? And I'm very anti-bun. I'm very anti-bun. Oh, okay, we'll just finish off now. We are off topic here, and we won't do this every week. But, uh, oh, yes, we can. Just, okay, well, if it's interesting enough... Derek Haas has uh, sent us a Facebook message. Would you agree Giffo was the best on base for the Oils? Now, for those not familiar, he's talking Midnight Oil, he's talking Peter Gifford, and he's talking the base, which we were just talking before. Peter Gifford made... No, he didn't make Midnight Oil, but he was, with all due respect to Bones Hillman, who was very good uh, in the swingers when he was with them, um, Giffo had a particularly aggressive style of bass playing Fonny and all my favourite all stuff, the earlier stuff, Giffo is the man driving that rhythm section. Now I know you're from a very musical family and you're well placed to answer that sort of query. I was always of the belief that anybody can play bass. Oh no. That's not God, no. Really? Oh no. Well I, I didn't I the only reason I took it up was because No, my... I'm not saying because you played, but yeah. but what are the other forms? Rhythm and well, you play lead or rhythm guitar. But, but, but are they more exacting sciences than bass? Uh, not, that, that's what I was led to believe. Well, yeah, for anyone who does think that is the case, I would uh, ask them to search out some footage of Geddy Lee from Rush, who is the most incredible bass player of all time. However, if you want to hear more of that sort of chat, you can head to the Rock and Roll podcast, yeah, that's right. <laughs> which I feature in with Kevin Hillier and that little squirt Brian Maddox from the Uncanny X-Men. Uh, and we'll be back next Tuesday. So uh, I think that's it for our first live show, Fonny. How do we go? Well, no. we've got to thank a few people. Well, we're going to with, thank a few because people. Because without, you know what? We did it without break because there's no tricks in live TV. No, no. We we flew, we we flew by the seat of our pants a bit. So very big thanks to uh, Malcolm, who's been uh, very patient in putting up with my little tantrums pre-show. And Andy, who's uh, a whiz for us and has been all year. And I'm going to have to give him another plug, much as I hate doing this. My son, David. David Connolly has been doing work experience with us all year. All year. David, all, come, and all stand, week. come and stand behind come on, David. Come on, come on. No, he doesn't want it. No, but, no. Roman, just move towards me, because I want to yeah. thank the real stars of the show. Yeah. Right. Those blokes behind us. No, well, they're going to I, be behind us most weeks when we're I doing this fight. I don't know who they are, but they're the stars <laughs> of the program. And without you guys, we had no footyology. Don't piss them off. Um, all right, thanks for your uh, patronage. Thanks for the questions you sent through. Uh, more of this. Next